Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI Leadership Coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Our guest in today's episode is Asa Leiden, now the COO at Pitch, but previously VP Engineering at Spotify. Asa has had an amazing journey, starting as an engineering manager and working her way up to VP of Engineering before switching functions entirely to become a COO. In this episode, she shares her firsthand tips on empowering and creating more female leaders, how to reinvent yourself in your culture as you scale, and being a techie at heart, she has plenty of amazing thoughts on building a remote hybrid culture in tech. Regardless of your role, Asa is an amazing role model, and this conversation is one you'll want to listen to very closely if you're leading any teams in tech. Let's dive right in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Teams at Work by Bunch. And we are here today with Asa, and I am so excited to interview another inspiring female leader that has an incredible journey behind her and is just getting started, as it seems. So really, really excited to dig into your learning so far, where you are today and where you are headed. And my first question actually goes right to that point of beginning or of start, how did your journey begin? And when was your first, what we call leadership moment? Is that something that you kind of saw for yourself from the beginning? Like, did you take responsibility from the start? Or is that something that kind of happened by chance to you? Hi, thank you so much for having me, first of all. So I think my leadership journey somewhat started very early. I kind of always known that this is a path that I wanted to go. I wasn't maybe sure of where I wanted to do the leadership journey, but it's always been with me. And I think my first leadership moment was probably when I was a volleyball trainer for a girls team when I was around maybe 14, 15. And um, at that point, I got to do a leadership training, like a training course, and uh, got hooked. I I thought it was so interesting with team dynamics, learning why people or why children or why young people or, or adults do certain things in certain moments and how to build build a well-functioning teams. So I think that was the first time when I felt that this is really something I want to do. However, I didn't jump right into it when I started to work. So for work, it took longer and I really wanted to learn some kind of craft first, really get good at something before I started in leadership roles. That's super interesting. Why do you think that is this feeling of like, we need to master something before we can instruct or teach or lead others? I think from my point of view, it's more because I thought it was fun. I like to learn stuff. So 
it wasn't that I felt that I need to master something to be a good leader. I think you can be a good leader for areas that you are actually not an expert in. But for me, it was more of being really great at something and starting somewhere. So I, I tried to just find that area. And once I found it, that was the base that I then could kind of grow my leadership on. And Asa, I think that's a perfect segue. What does leadership mean to you? How do you define it? I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. And if I should just look at this from one point, I think great leadership or leadership I get inspired by are the leaders that take res- full responsibility. I think that is kind of how I like, would like to talk about it. The, independent of which size of leadership or which area of leadership, for me, great leadership is when you take the full responsibility. For example, if I would compare as a volleyball trainer, it would be that I'm responsible for making sure that the trainings are done in a good way. I'm responsible for making sure that the matches are played in a good way, but I'm also responsible for making sure that there's water bottles on the side. And if no one else does it, I do it. And that is for me what's good leadership. And that is also something I try to think about in my leadership roles, kind of not, I mean, sometimes I can meet people who are really great and super interested, for example, in engineering on the people side of leadership, but don't really think about what is the business doing and what is the business impact. And for me, like you can't choose, you have to be, maybe you're not the best at both, but you have to take responsibility for both and then find solutions. If you feel that you can't do one part, then you make sure that you complement yourself with someone who is really good at that part. So yeah, if I would say one thing, it would be taking full responsibility. Extreme ownership. I think we tagged this a while ago, but it definitely yeah, resonates. Yeah. I think it's, it's also just one of the most challenging parts, right? Like you can't control it all, but at the same time, you need to be responsible for everything. And it's definitely an ambition, I think, that many of our listeners also can relate to and in something that um, is a really good ideal to strive towards. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything by yourself. Sometimes that leadership responsibility means that you ask for help, for example. But it is you, you can be that person that people can lean on in different situations. I think that is the important people or the business can lean on, I would say. Yeah. You've done so many things throughout your career. You started in more technical roles, right? Like you, I think, began as a QA engineering manager and a testing manager and progressed at a very impressive speed towards leadership and engineering leadership positions at really outstanding companies. You've been in a VP engineering at Spotify after just five years, and you've also founded businesses repeatedly and now as a COO at Pitch. I can imagine there were so many tough moments and things that were not easy. Could you maybe share one or two with us, like the toughest moments and the learnings you've had so far? Yeah, there's, of course, a lot of tough moments. (laughs) For me, the toughest moments have been when my ambitions have been higher than my capacity. So it's very easy to have, or I've been a person always setting high goals and like really trying to see this is where I want to be or this is where I want the team to be or this is where I want to go. And we could do all these things to get there. But you only have a certain amount of capacity as a person. So I remember once it was quite early in at Spotify and I was on the bus. It was like a beautiful summer day. I was on the bus to work and I suddenly thought for myself, like I would 
I would love to take vacation so I can work. And that whole sentence is so wrong because like, it's just not logical. And <laughs> when I heard what I thought, if you can say so, I started to reflect on that, you know, I have to change something here because this is not a sustainable way of working. So after that, I tried to understand my capacity better, try to be, get better at prioritizing, also letting things pass a bit more than I had done before. But yeah, and I think it's very common, super common, actually, especially in high growth companies where the company moves quick, the surrounding or the kind of the, the industry moves quick and uh, you're in this kind of very fast moving, fast decision uh, place that it's you can see all the things you want to do, but you can't actually do everything. So, yeah, at that point, someone actually, a person in my team or a peer recommended the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And we talked about books before and that I don't read many management books, but that one is the one I actually read. And I actually try to reread it maybe every second year to remind myself of some good practices within. So... <laughs> that's such a good recommendation I actually also read it but like a very long time ago and rereading it I think it's a great idea thank you for bringing that up it's also great because you could just choose one chapter kind of I'm, so I'm struggling a bit more with this right now okay so I'll just kind of dive into that part and you don't have to do this like 300 pages in a row session nice well, hey, before we get to pitch, I would love to ask you a question kind of off script, like you have a technical origin and now you're, we're talking about leadership. So maybe you can give your take on the technical IC to leader journey and why that's a very unique journey. We often talk to a lot of CTOs and engineering leaders about this, but would love your take in your sort of um, addition to that discussion. Do you mean how to get there or kind of what I bring along? Or even just what are the unique challenges of that particular journey, in your opinion? Hmm, good question. So I think the challenges are, of course, a couple. I think it's what I would say is the opportunity <laughs> is that the, in tech, so in tech, there's a lot of movement and it's growing a lot, which means that there's so many, there are actually a lot of opportunities to grow into these leadership roles, which I can see friends and family who are in other sectors, like the opportunities are just fewer. So maybe it's more standardized, you know, easier how to get there, but the opportunities fewer. I think for me, what I learned or what was key for me was to actually let people know where I wanted to go. So I think that is the biggest advice I would have if you want to go from a technical IC role to a leadership role or from one kind of leadership role to the next leadership role, that it's very important to just talk about it. This is where I want to go. If you hear about any opportunities, this is where I want to be. Ask people what's needed if I want to be here in two years, what's needed or what do you value when you look for this next position? So I think in my case, that has been one of the opportunities I've always talked about where I want to be without the expectation of getting there the next day. But really, and actually one practice that I, I look after in now when I have this, when I'm in this very privileged position of being able to influence companies is to always make sure that, for example, posting internal opportunities, because that is also an opportunity for people to say that they want to get there. And if you don't post them, if you have this kind of under the hood appointment of people, then the likelihood that you get to know who want to grow into these roles is much lower. So 
not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> but I think at least for me, it was key to talk about it and, and always say, that this is where I want to go and make sure I could gain the knowledge or gain experience that was relevant for the next job that I wanted to have. I actually have a follow-up question on that because I think this is such a good advice and a lot of people, I think, are kind of thinking about it internally and don't really like make it a topic and nobody knows. And so the opportunities pass you by because people are not every day thinking about your progression and your goals. How did you know what you wanted, actually? I find it so mesmerizing and inspiring just to know that you were gaining that clarity and you were able to communicate it. I think a lot of people struggle with that. So what helped you to figure out, like, kind of be able to know where you wanted to go? Yeah, I think so when I did kind of my my longer leadership journey, which was on Spotify, it was a lot because most positions were actually announced internally. So I remember once I applied for a director of engineering position almost already knowing that there was someone else who was going to get it because that person was actually much better suited to have that position. But it actually made me have a meeting with the CTO where he asked, you know, what is the reasoning why you applied for this? And I also understood, is this a position that I want to have? So, you know, sometimes I think you find that out in the process of applying or find that out in the process of going for a position. And, um, don't remember any exact examples, but I guess I've also been in a situation where I've looked for something, knowing more about it. I then chose to like, no, this is not the path I want to go. I mean, I never moved into product, for example, which I discussed several times, but I felt that engineering is, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm striving. <laughs> super cool. Thank you. This is super, very actionable, I think. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, it just, I think, you know, we like to have these conversations with our team, but also others as well. Just this idea of reaching for something and learning through the process of reaching for something, whether it be up or sideways or whatever, the act of doing it is you're guaranteed one thing and you're guaranteed to learn. And that learning sort of helps you chart a course. So I love that concept and I love that advice. Now, going over to where you currently are now, how did you get in touch with Pitch? How did you get in touch with Christian? And, and how did this part of your journey uh, start? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, first of all, a super fun journey. Just need to say that. <laughs> but it, it actually started with that my, so I had two daughters. They are now 12 and 14. And my husband and I had a couple of years ago decided that we wanted to move abroad when we had the opportunity work-wise to do it. So I had this break and he had the same and we decided to move to Berlin, actually just for fun, just to do something else for a while. And I was supposed to learn German. It didn't go really well, but that was the goal. And um, yeah, when I was there, I was actually approached by a recruiter for Pitch. And that is how I got to know the Pitch and the founders. I knew about Wunderlist because my brother was <laughs> has been a big Wunderlist user. So he always talked about how great it was. But I didn't know anyone in the company before. And during the recruiting process, I met the founders, I met Christian, of course, and um, I just found that this was a really nice opportunity and I couldn't say no. That's so, I mean, like this is the second time already in this conversation, I think that the experience you share gives hope for just go the kind of very obvious, but sometimes overlooked path of just applying to opportunities, responding to recruiter messages. So like sometimes we think with companies like Pitch and obviously Christian's like career so far is one that many people follow, I think, and like the products that he's been involved 
in at least for me as a product person, I always have been role model products out of the Berlin ecosystem and so on. So there's like this magical, mystical aura of, oh, wow, how do you like get to work with Fitch and BCOO there? That's so exciting and like also um, very admirable. And then hearing you say, well, you know, like I was in a break and I responded to that message and then I got to know the people and here I am. For me, at least, it's like validation and an inspiration to just go for things and really go that formal, explicit, surfaced path. And sometimes it's really not through those like secret back doors and things like that. And things can just work out. So this is really, really inspiring to hear. Thank you for being so open about it. You've shared a ton of really actionable advice already. Just to make sure that we didn't forget anything, though, as an female executive and having led and built so many teams in different companies and having founded your own business as well. What advice do you have for women that are either embarking on their leadership journey or just in the beginnings of it? What do you think should they keep in mind or which resources should they reach out for that maybe we sometimes forget? I find this question a bit hard, (laughs) to be honest, because you, you more or less have yourself to look at. But I would say that it's a long journey. So, I mean, it's sometimes everything happens at the same time and sometimes two or three years pass and you feel like there's no progress. So I think you should, first of all, I would say to look at it as a long journey. And with that saying that it's, I would really recommend that make sure that you find positions where you learn, of course, but also learn where you grow. It doesn't have to be that you need to learn more than anyone else, but kind of where you grow but also positions that gives you energy. I would say that is kind of, I think that is something I would like to say or stress. So I always try to look for kind of what can I learn? What gives me energy in this position? Because it will get tough otherwise. If you feel that it's only draining, I think that will actually be much quite harmful to your career. So I would really like to, or really, really make think about how do you get energy out of this position and or this role so i think that is one thing i mean to find people around you that you are inspired by is of course or or can learn from is super important sometimes it can be the manager sometimes it can be someone else in the company i've always made sure i know who around me is the person i can go to to ask for advice And I can name in every position I've had who was the important person for me to get get advice from. So I think for me, that has worked. Also very different depending on who you are. And maybe maybe the last point, I think, which is something that I would say I've only learned with time and I'm still not mastering at all, (laughs) but it is to keep a little bit of distance between you as a private person and you as a professional. I quite often give the advice for people. So I coach some people, I mean, of course, people internally, but also people externally. And um, more than once I've given the advice of, you know, just be, be the goose, let the water, you know, have a little bit of a thick barrier between you and what's going on and let it just fall off. Easier said than done, definitely. But in the end, it makes you probably a better leader if you can have a little bit of distance because then, then it's easier to see things clear. But Definitely, I can relate. Networks, of course, always good. Reach out to people if you feel like you don't have a network. Try to connect in different... That is always, always good, always valuable. Yeah, I think those are really great points. 
all three of them. Um, it reminds me actually of something that I've read from Pitch, which was the team... Thriving Teams Report, I think. The Thriving <laughs> Teams Report, exactly. And um, it was really interesting. I think uh, you published it in the, the end of 2021, and it was a collection of different questions. But what really caught my eye was that one finding you had was that men at work feel more free to express themselves and socialize than women do, which I found really interesting. I don't think I've actually ever read this before, given all the other things that we, of course, know, pay gaps and all. But um, that was a new one for me. And I was wondering whether you have any advice to share for leaders in teams, in companies, how they can actually help not only women, but underrepresented groups in general feel more empowered to network, to socialize. What can the company and the team do in order to make that easier? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it is a super interesting uh, fact or question. And there's this, um, I mean, there's more studies about uh, likability gap, kind of how how likable are you and do we have bias against women or groups and so on. So there's loads to learn and I still have a lot to learn there, I would say. I think some of the core things to bridge this, to kind of bridge or don't have the gap, is that people feel that they are in a, in a trust or in a secure and trusted environment. I think that is kind of one of the key aspects of it. So then the big question is kind of how do you create that in a company? Because it's great that you or say that you want to do it, but the key is to actually create it. And what I'm really focusing on now is kind of what are the possibilities in remote companies to build this? And they're actually a little bit different, I think, to the office, because if you're in the office, you're in the meeting room and so on, and you have one kind of interaction. And when you're having a meeting in Zoom, you actually have other possibilities. So, I mean, one thing that we've done at Pitch, which I, I think can have an impact, is that we so we have these quarterly plannings. End of each quarter, we gather all the team leads, all the product area leads, and um, look at the quarter that passed, review the quarter that passed, share the planning for the next quarter, and the outlook for the quarter ahead of that one. And we do this as a two-day, one or two-day marathon in Zoom, and um, let every team speak up, every team talk about their progress and their planning and so on. And what we found after the first one is that it was a little bit hard. You know, we're 30, 40 people on Zoom. How do you make sure that people can raise their voice or express themselves or ask an uncomfortable question and so on? So, so we set a couple of rules or a couple of guidelines for the next one that we had. So one was just to use, I mean, I think all of us now used it. <laughs> we worked remote, but the raise hands function kind of. And I think this, or I don't know what you say, raise hands button or something. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a killer feature for <laughs> for removing or for having a good work environment because suddenly it doesn't depend on if you're extrovert or introvert if you get the, the, get the word. So we just decided that everyone is welcome to talk. Everyone is welcome to ask questions at any point. Just use the raise hands and we assure you that you will get the question and we'll do it in order. And even then people who actually maybe might need a bit more time to see, do I want to ask a question or not, can take that time and then use that feature to speak up, even if some time has passed or someone else is having talking for a long time. So I think that feature in itself is really great. And then do you have a kind of like a separate role 
on the team then that watches the order of people that raise their hands? Or is that then the moderator that facilitates the overall discussion? And how do you manage it? Yeah, so I think at Zoom, it actually shows in order. You see the line, like you end up in a line. So, but we also have a, I mean, the moderator and in these sessions, it's very often me, make sure to just kind of pass the word. So if I see, I just say like, okay, so now it's Daria, your turn or... I only just say the name maybe and just kind of give a clear, like you can talk. So, yeah, but it's, I also encourage people, you see, everyone sees whose turns it is, just speak when it's your turn. more or less. I think another thing that is, that we talked about or thought about is kind of this, I think this, the insecurity of, of asking a question or expressing themselves or socializing is also grounded in, if you don't understand the situation, do I understand what people are saying? Or is there a risk that they will laugh at me? Or is it a risk that they will think I'm stupid? And, or so on. So what we actually also said uh, with these meetings, and I would say some, maybe that has become like the general sentence, is that really try to avoid irony and sarcasm because that is often understood by a subgroup, but maybe not the entire group. And this is a, a bigger group of people who who don't work on a daily basis with each other. And the same with abbreviations. Just avoid to use them because for some people, these are very natural. For some people, it's just like, I won't ask because I'm not, I should probably know this abbreviation, but I don't. So then they don't ask the question. So yeah, trying to really removing the things that can make a person feel insecure or unwilling to speak up and to be honest, I base a lot on this, on what I experienced myself. When do I feel insecure? And, or when have I felt that in previous situations? And also to talk to people and kind of make sure that, did you feel that you could express yourself? Did you feel, you know, having these check-ins and making sure that people feel that this is a trusted environment and everyone can speak up. So Super cool. Yeah, super actionable advice. Thank you. But I think the remote setup is actually an advantage for, for closing this gap. I think there's loads of possibilities. I agree. I agree. I think the, there is a part of me that always kind of has this like sad, melancholic feeling around not being able to use so many layers of communication anymore. As you just mentioned, like specific parts of humors are not like, it's very difficult to make work in a remote setting, even with like partners, friends and so on. And then when you have a big group and you have time constraints and it's important that everyone faces like voices their perspective. I think it's it makes I haven't heard about this before, but it makes perfect sense to me. And I also kind of can't wait to actually try that in our team as well and be explicit about it because I I do think we have misunderstandings sometimes because of like humor that one person uses, the others don't understand, and vice versa. I think there is a part of me that is also just kind of sad around like, ah, no, like, yeah, you know, we don't have humor anymore. We're all serious and factual. I think it's what, it would be super sad if like all the humor is gone and uh, people don't have fun. I think, I mean, we actually have as one of our values to have fun at work. So, so it should definitely not kind of kill that because that would be just, as you say, extremely sad. I think it's more about when. When is it important that people can speak up and ask critical questions? And when is it totally fine to just have fun and just make fun of all of each other and do that? that yeah, so it, it's more a matter of when than an either or. Makes sense. Asa, I actually wanted to ask you exactly that. That was literally going to be my follow-up question, to be honest, because I think there is a, 
I've thought about this a lot. And I, I think to Daria's comment, like, I think I've thought about the role of humor as you scale. And I think, I think you've kind of nailed it. It's a matter of when. I'm interested in sort of diving into that value real quick, have fun at work and, and sort of tapping into the authenticity of individuals. When and, and or, I guess, and how do you encourage team members to sort of maybe tap into more their authentic side? Like what are those moments in your culture or in your process or in your experience that team members really should, you know, when is the when, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask versus, and <laughs> yeah. when is the opposite? When What are those moments? I, I'm assuming like all hands and things like that, where when you're in a larger group, certain things, you should stay very conscious about certain, um, I like the way you put it, sarcasms and humors and ironies and, and abbreviations, like extremely, extremely actionable. Like I've never thought it so clearly. And I, I really thank you for that. But yeah, back to my question, when are those moments? Yeah, that's hard. So I think, I mean, um, I think, of course, when you build teams, so there's a lot of different teams within the whole organization. I mean, we have the leadership team, the founders, the, all the product teams, marketing and so on. I think within those groups, there's, of course, a lot of moments when you just have fun together and so on. But <laughs> it's a good question. So to some extent, because you also said like to be your authentic self, like can you joke in the way you want to joke, for example, or can you... Or do you just have to tap into a certain culture of jokes that is there in a company? Or at least that is what I've seen before. I think it a little bit goes hand in hand. Like if you have a culture where people feel that they can express themselves freely, they very often, you can then also get a much broader group of how, who can express themselves from their authentic selves, like as the people they are and not just tapping into a culture of the company. So yeah, don't know if that made sense, but I, um, so for example, when I moved between, so I was at Spotify and then moved to a company called Natural Cycles, which was um, a company where the majority of the leadership were women. And it was quite astonishing how also how the way you joke, for example, is also very different between these groups and uh, going from a very kind of, um, where the majority are men to when the majority are women, it was very obvious that, that when people feel that they can be themselves, they joke in a certain way. And I think, I think people in general are extremely adaptable. Like you join a company, you check out how does this company talk or joke or work, and then you just start doing it more or less the same way. So to some extent, I think what I would love to achieve or love to see or enable at pitch is a culture where you can joke as yourself rather than joke as the company wants you to joke. So I can't really tell you know, <laughs> when, but I think if we can foster a culture where you feel free to express yourself, you also foster a culture where you're free to joke as yourself, given that it's respectful. <laughs> I actually think that it's a great question to ask in like employee surveys. Yeah, we do. We did now in the beginning of the year, a happiness survey, as we call yeah. it. And we have this question on how do you rate your ability to express yourself at work? And uh, yeah, super happy to say that it's really, really high. But of course, companies grow like you need to. It's always a challenge to keep that that culture going. But hopefully it works. Let's see. <laughs> Congrats on that. And it's really, really inspiring to hear. Anthony, did you have a follow-up on that one? I kind of wasn't sure. <laughs> 
Yes, I actually would like to. Um, I, I did come across an article. I can't find it now, but I did come across an article where you sort of said the biggest challenge or, you know, one of the biggest focus areas is to reinvent how pitch pitch employees work in this sort of next phase of growth. And I'm curious because, you know, it's, I think it's a nice follow up from what we just talked about, how you keep the culture going and sort of how you do constantly reinvent yourself, et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about that and sort of how you're approaching it, I guess, on sort of a company level, but also, you know, to achieve some of the things we've already talked about in this conversation, too. Yeah. So, I, I mean, high growth companies, you have to reinvent how you work more or less always. As soon as you think that things have landed, the only thing you know is that it will soon change again. So I think by kind of approaching it as a constant evolution is, is the way to handle it. And um, right now, our focus is really around, like, how do we stay connected across the different teams? How do we make sure that we, I mean, we're a company where we value kind of the craft, actually building a great product and um, being quite hands-on I would say and how do you do that when you scale because suddenly you have more people you have more teams you need to sync more so so what I'm focusing a lot on now is this kind of how do we stay aligned how do we make sure that we have good communication and also how do we take steps forward so I mean for example we have looked a lot about around internal communication right now and we just kind of implemented or reinvented you could say or redone like the slack taxonomy because we're a super transparent company we share almost everything everything is available everything is shared the, the flip side on that when you become a bigger company is that then you, it's so easy with the information overload like like how do you choose which document to review or how do you choose or how do you know which Slack channel to follow and so on? So, I mean, one of the things we've done is to look over the Slack taxonomy and make sure it's a little bit clearer on where do we expect people to be and read, where don't we? And um, yeah, we've also actually had a, a leadership training for the whole company where everyone was invited to participate so we could go through kind of what are the, yeah, just leadership techniques that you can use. The next stage of growth, what more? So more or less when we talked about this, we had also, or when I talked, when this article came, we had also done a really thorough job with kind of lining up or thinking about our next two-year strategy. And um, when we did that, we really pushed for, I really pushed for, like, let's not do that from the focus of how we are organized right now or how the product looks right now. So so like just disregard all of that. We'll fix that later. And let's just nail the strategy first. So, so we really focused on kind of this is the strategy. These are the different building blocks of what we want to become. So we want to be an all-in-one presentation platform. So create presentation, collaborate within a presentation, share that presentation with recordings or kind of asynchronous or synchronous and then have a publishing platform where everyone can find presentations and templates and so on to be inspired. So we kind of really drew that picture or draw that picture. <laughs> and then from that, we, after we've done that and said kind of to get there, these are the things we need to do. We looked at the organization. So how are we organized? And some things made perfect sense already. And some things made like, oh, actually, if this is going to be one area where we really, where we really want to excel, Let's form 
the teams around that instead of those teams belonging to a structure that was actually reflecting the product. So, yeah, that is one of the ways. But I think the, when it comes to the culture, I think it's by living it. Like the founders live it, the leadership team lives it, and we have a lot of employees that joined early, continue to live it. Yeah, to never, never stop reminding ourselves of what we think is important, I think, is good. And uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is super helpful. I was just listening and thinking to myself, I learned so much already in this conversation that I think it's really, these questions can feel very broad and very kind of like, what are your challenges for your next stage of growth? And who knows? <laughs> like, we're just getting started with it, right? But I think the way you just laid out the strategy and also how you think about company structure matching that strategy and so on is really interesting, I think, for everyone who's listening, because all these questions are on the table for growing companies all around, right? And hearing how a company like Pitch approaches that, which obviously is, a, I think, a great company to learn from and watch do things, I think is definitely at least an inspiration, if not actually a great blueprint in that sense. Um, and and yeah, I hope we, our listeners are taking a lot away. I would love to just ask maybe actually one more, more personal question before we wrap it up. We always ask this question and I love the answers we've gotten so far. We are all work in progress and we kind of came full circle from the beginning of your journey to this point in our conversation. And I'm wondering, what are the things that you are still working on? So what would you love to get better at and yeah what are you still kind of struggling or challenged uh struggling with or challenged by as a leader uh, yeah loads <laughs> loads of things i think my biggest oh like my biggest growth opportunity still is around actually the remote work like it's i joined pitch for that reason and i still have a lot to learn i feel and um Yeah, so I would say everything around remote, like internal, what works with internal communication? How do you work across? Now I realize that your question was more about me and how I, what I need to learn. <laughs> <laughs> not interrupting people. I'm actually still bad at, in, I'm, I'm still not uh, really great at not interrupting people, something I'm working with. And uh, yeah, I think that things like, prioritization is always like, how do you, what is important and where do you find that balance? Because sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, from a company perspective, these three things are the things I should work with, but they can take up all my time. I, I need to stay connected with people within the company and so on. So I think what I've been focusing on a lot is actually calendar. And I think that is also something that even gets more important when you're remote. So I have an openly shared calendar so anyone can see kind of what meetings I have or anything. And I, I actively tried to reduce the amount of recurring meetings and really trying to see how can I lead without always having a meeting about it. And um, I think that is the, the growth journey I'm on. I'm When I joined Pitch, I felt quite confident in myself as a leader, as an in-person leader. I knew when I could, when I stood in front of people, I had an easy time to kind of express where we want, I wanted us to move or what I believed in or what I thought the company should do. And um, when it comes to remote, I still have a lot of learnings when it comes to how to document or how to drive internal communication 
not only through being in front of people, but actually through through other uh, communication sets. So. Thank you for being open about it. I think a lot of people struggle with it, actually. Many, many more struggle with it than you hear on podcasts admitting it. So I really, really appreciate that you share this and I think validate a lot of the challenges that we are all going through. Like I think we're trying hard to improve our ability to do the same thing in a mirror board or in a Figma jam as we did in the room with a group of people, but it's, it's really difficult and it's a very different type of communication and interaction. So really appreciated your openness there. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm on the same growth journey. I can definitely attest to it. <laughs> Maybe making me reflect for sure. One of the other final questions we love to ask and, um, it's kind of the key question for us, right? Because a lot of our users and our sort of audience, let's say, are first-time managers. They're maybe just kicking off what what we traditionally would call sort of their leadership career, even though I think definitely, you know, for, um, for all intents and purposes, I think you can lead without being in a, it doesn't, regardless of your title or position, you can lead. But if you go back all the way to the beginning, you know, maybe your first management role or when you really first started to sort of, um, you know, embody your now very clear definition of leadership, what advice would you give yourself? looking all the way back? Hmm. I mean, I think the um, don't hesitate to try out things. I think the times where I've doubted to, uh, like, will I actually pull this off? Like, do I have enough knowledge? Um, yeah, looking back, somehow I did it. Maybe not perfect. Maybe I did mistakes along the way, but it, you actually do, and you do mistakes and you learn from them. And I think see that as part of the process and uh, second like ask for help like there's i think that is something that i'm yeah getting in i mean i think that is just super important like if you get stuck ask to talk to someone ask for help ask for advice and uh, yeah never be afraid of sharing your problems or your challenges or where you want to go and People love to help you. Like people love to be asked for advice uh, much more than you think. Kind of sometimes people are like, "Oh, also I don't want to disturb you, but I have this thing." And I was like, "Hey, I love to be disturbed if if I can help you with something here." So, yeah, I would really say don't hesitate to reach out to people and ask for help or advice. That's super well put, and I think it's if you're able to do that, it kind of like the rest falls into place, right? Yeah. On that note, actually, encouraging our listeners to get in touch with you and potentially also ask you the one or the other question in case they do have it. Where um, would they get in touch with you and how? what's the easiest way to reach you, actually? The best uh, way to reach me is through LinkedIn. I keep all my professional network <laughs> contacts there or like staying in touch with them there. Not a big social media user, but if you want to use other social media, I think the easiest way would just to go to pitch and ask for me in the pitch social channels. Nice. That would also be a way to get in touch with me. But yeah, so LinkedIn or pitch in any other channel. Perfect. We will, of course, link your LinkedIn profile in the description of the show and the show notes. So all of you out there that want to get in touch can absolutely do so. And it's been an insanely insightful almost hour at this point. So thank you so much for not only a great conversation, but also just sharing so many rich insights and learnings and advice. I really feel like I've been through an educational experience, not only <laughs> an entertaining one. So really, really glad that we could have you on the show and really excited to share this episode with our listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. 
You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.